Welcome to this episode of Helix and Gene Medical Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Baluch, CEO of Helix and Gene. Today is a very, very special day and a very special podcast. I'm sharing the stage with two phenomenal and very, very well accomplished people. Uh, Co-hosting today with me, I'm honored to have Dr. Gary Gesselter. Uh, and our guest today is Dr. Patrick O'Shaughnessy from CHS. Uh, these two men need no introduction from me, so I'm going to let uh, welcome Patrick to our show and let Patrick introduce himself, and we'll go from there. Thank you, Sam. It's uh, really an honor to be here today. And um, a little bit about me. Uh, I'm the Executive Vice President and Chief Clinical Officer for Catholic Health Services of Long Island. We are uh, Long Island's second largest uh, healthcare system. We treat, manage about 25% of the population, so one of every four Long Islanders uh, is, uh, is cared for in our facility. So in my role, I have the privilege to oversee uh, quality, safety, uh, clinical service line development, and most recently, over the last five years, population health management. Uh, which is really why I'm excited uh, to be joining you and Gary here today. Uh, again, I uh, will say I'm here uh, really uh, representing my own beliefs, uh, although Catholic Health Services, like so many healthcare systems, we do focus on improving the health and wellness of our population. I just want to make sure it's clear that I'm here because I am personally uh, passionate and committed uh, to the work that you're doing, the work that the space that I would like to see healthcare further evolve into, and I think we have tremendous opportunity. So, no, thank you. And you know, I we had a brief chance to speak be prior to this, and I gotta tell you guys, you know, the passion in which Patrick has for proper change within this industry really exudes in you know who he is and how he speaks, and uh, to have a guy in his position have this kind of foresight for what's about to come is really, really promising for companies like us and people who are looking at you know, the medical world from outside the box a little bit. Um, and uh, <clears throat> Gary you know, has been involved with us from the inception of this as well. And so he's seen the full change both from the external and internal point of views of how this whole thing comes together. Uh, Gary, do you just want to chime in real quick and tell us a little bit about what your view is on, you know, what Patrick was talking about in terms of where this is headed in terms of population health as well as, you know, where the whole medical wellness industry is going? Sure. Uh, Sam, I'm firstly really excited to be part of this conversation and extremely thrilled to have my friend and colleague Patrick here uh, chatting with us today. I come from this from a slightly different point of view because uh, I'm a surgeon. I have always been sort of viewed as somebody who treats diseases and treats complicated cancers predominantly and often with patients who feel like they have no hope. And what I've seen over the years of doing this is that if you can change a person's mindset you change their hope, you change their perspective, and you can improve their, their survival. And, and this is kind of looking at, at people who are not preconditioned <laughs> with, uh, with their own investment in their own health. But once they see what, what uh, they have to go through when they're sick, 
and they realize that that their own their own mindset can help them those people who are properly trained in functional medicine nutrition the need for exercise the need to take ownership for their their disease and their recovery uh, has has shown me that there are definitely two different kinds of patients those who want you to make them better and they usually don't do as well as those who want to participate in their own sort of wellness or, or recovery program and what really blew me away was that I've known Patrick for the better part of 10 years mm -hmm. and we've had a very very good productive uh, uh, collegial relationship and I knew nothing about Patrick's sort of knowledge and his intense knowledge about functional yeah. medicine and about his passion for this which which will then he has the tools because of his position and because of his knowledge to make this a truly sort of population health initiative not only within his system but it can be evangelized into into how all of us mm -hmm. think about this so i'm really happy to be you know it's interesting because um, i thought the same about you gary and knowing you all these years and you're not just a colleague but a dear friend and um you treat complex disease and you treat it so incredibly well and yet here's someone of your caliber also embracing and leading the whole connection of what we're just talking through and you know, i neglected to share my background as an emergency medicine trauma and emergency medicine i worked for about 13 and a half years in variety of clinical realms. And I, I think I went into that. Well, we all went into healthcare because we wanted to help people, right? We wanted yes. to reduce suffering. And, yeah. and, and, and so I thought, well, where could I have the best impact? You know, well, it's the emergency room. You know, people come in, life-threatening situations, and I'm going to save them. You know, I'm, uh, I'm going to make them better. That's, that's what it is. Uh, that's what I want to do. And, and then about f five or six years into it, what I realized is, uh, yeah, you know, there are instances where you do have those saves and you do, but I realize that the real crisis in this, in this country, for, for sure, is the burden of chronic disease. And so many people, by the time they reached me in the emergency room, um, yeah, I could have a positive impact on that acute exacerbation, but I couldn't, I couldn't bend the disease curve. You know, they already had end-stage congestive heart failure. They've had a stroke. Um, they've had a heart attack. They've had all these different comp. They've had cancer. They've had multiple surgeries. And you say to yourself, I want to do more. Uh, and, and so I, I kind of began to go down the population health management pathway with a, a dear colleague and, uh, and friend, Dr. David Nash. He, he is the founder of this School for Population Health Management at Thomas Jefferson University. He said, Patrick, you know, this is a pathway for you to learn more about how to get upstream of disease. And that led me to really um, exploring and understanding the foundations of what Gary and, and UCM just described, which is functional medicine, which is really getting to the root causes of what drives disease onset development and maturation. And as Gary mentioned, intervening upstream of that and trying to steer the course in a different direction. And in today's age of genomics and science and system uh, biological sciences, we have such tremendous opportunity to bend the disease curve. Yeah, the information <clears throat> more than ever is out there. Mm -hmm. And more and more people are starting to research this and look into this and <clears throat> you know want to know the root causes of things instead of just walking into a place and going, okay, 
this is wrong. Okay, fix it. And I'm out of here. You're getting a lot more people in general. This is what I'm seeing is actually having the desire to come in and say, I want to make a change. I just don't know how. Right. There's nothing that provides me how to make that change. Right. And I think that's a good segue for functional medicine yes. in terms of understanding, you know, the root of it. Um, so how did you get into functional medicine and, and how did that come about? You know, where, where, when did that start? I mean, yeah. you know, and, and where are you with that now? Yeah. So, you know, my role is administrative, uh, you know, and uh, currently within the health system. So I oversee and build out programs in one of those areas. Uh, is population health management. And what population health management is, is really about how do we improve the health and wellness of a population and really about increasing value. And by value, it's defined in the Michael Porter sense, uh, for those of you who read Harvard Business Review and one of the key people on strategy, but also key person around how do you define value in healthcare, which is you improve the quality and you reduce the cost. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about um, service rationing, I'm really talking about right care, right place, right time by right people and bringing on board preventive and wellness as part of that algorithm so that you bend the disease curve. Um, so my journey probably began about five years ago. And um, you, you know how the, the old adage, they say, it, you know, when you really love something, you, you, you know, I found myself initially on every commute, uh, listening to every podcast. By the way, I love your podcast. I'm <laughs> thrilled you. to be here. <laughs> Uh, so whatever I could potentially <coughs> absorb and then being the uh, perpetual student, what else could I learn and what other courses could I take? And the fortunate thing is, you know, there are other minds like ours out there yeah. uh, nationally that have done a lot of um, really good work. And um, through the uh, Institute for Functional Medicine, there's a lot of uh, wonderful training uh, by people that you could um, – uh, learn from uh, around how you manage disease, chronic disease, cardiovascular disease, nutrition, oncologic uh, influences as well, and how we could, you know, perhaps mitigate that, L understanding genomics, infectious disease, all of these things. Uh, so my, my mind just expanded. I said, my goodness, there's this whole other field out there. And it's so different um, from what has been truly initially practiced in terms of primary, even primary care, right? It's reactionary. It's we treat right, disease. You come right. in when you're sick. And if you think about it in the pediatric population, it's probably really the only area where we've gotten it right, right? <laughs> you have yeah. preventive wellness screens. That's you do right. um, <clears throat> preventive screening. So what I'm really passionate about is like the four Ps of medicine, right? So medicine really needs to be um, predictive, right, which is really exciting about some of the work that you're doing yeah. with genomics and the science behind <clears throat> this. So understanding what you're at risk for. Yeah. Right? Uh, it needs to be preventive. So once you understand what your risks are, how do you begin to influence? What's the right program? Exactly. Yeah. And then <clears throat> it needs to really be uh, proactive and patient-centered. The patient has to become engaged in this. Um, so, you know, it's it's been, it's an ongoing process for me. I, I think... I get asked the question a lot, do you miss um, clinically caring for patients? And I do. Um, and, and I get asked all the time, would you go back into emergency medicine? And I say, no, not that I didn't love emergency medicine, but I, no, if I were to do something clinical, this is the area that I think is leading edge and we could have the most impact on people. Well, it's like any other math equation, right? It, if you're looking for an answer, there's always one fastest route to the answer mm -hmm. and the most effective way, or you can try and figure it out in a complex way. But, you know, at the end of the day, when the goal, and I think one of the things that I love about you is 
you see the end picture. Mm-hmm. You know, you're one of few people I've met who your vision is super clear as to what this thing can look like. Absolutely. And and being in this space that you've been in for so long, you understand the possibility that it can actually happen. Mm-hmm. See, a lot of people, you know, think about something like this and it's a dream. They don't understand exactly where to go, where to start, what to do. But, you know, hearing it from your mouth gives me a ton of hope oh, in yeah. the sense that, okay, like we're onto something here. Oh, we you're, can you're really, really, really make a serious impact, not just from a treat the symptom point of view, but, you know, find the root cause at the tree and start yes. to build your way out. A hundred percent. And, you know, the interesting thing, Sam, to your point, um, if you look at healthcare expenditures in the United States, we're spending nearly $4 trillion that's with a T, dollars on healthcare. Wow. 87% of that spend is focused on disease care. And when you, there was actually a 2007 New England Journal landmark study that looked at uh, total health determinants, what drives health or sickness. And here's the interesting thing, and this is where you, you guys come in and you're really leading edge. So uh, the overall determination, uh, health determinants, 30% determined by genomics, so 30%, 60% by diet and environment, and only 10% is influenced by healthcare overall. So when you think about it, you're spending the most on the 10%, and on the 90%, we're really not spending anything. It's a anything. great breakdown, yeah. yeah. So that's the power of this, and I think, you know, look, there are going to always be people that have disease. No one is making a claim here that we're going to eliminate all disease. No, absolutely, right. Right. But, but... I use my dad as an example, and I'll personalize this for a minute because he's a cancer patient and he's got multiple chronic medical diseases. And this is a guy, former U.S. Marine, who uh, made sure every detail within our house, the way he brought up his family, was ahead of the curve. You know, uh, every bill got paid bef- well before a due date. Things got organized and done, but yet he didn't proactively take care of himself. And we don't, we didn't have then 25, 30 years ago what we have now. Sure. Um, so I, I always say it's a lot of what we have now is is radar. And I look at where he's at now in his life, and you know he's um, he doesn't have a great quality of life. Thank God he's still with us. But imagine we had the ability to intervene on him earlier and bend that disease curve, so he wouldn't be diabetic, hyperlipidemic, have had issues, heart attack. Uh, he's, you know, got chronic cancer, some of which maybe, maybe that could have been detected earlier or maybe even, maybe even prevented in that case. That's of debate. But um, that's the power of this. And again, getting back to that spend for policymakers, if any are listening, when you want to think about how are you going to pay for health care, well, the good news is we're all aging, right? We're living yeah. longer. Sure. Uh, but, you know, if you could um, bend the disease curve here and eliminate some of that $4 trillion expenditure, it's a huge savings. And people are healthier and, and, and feel better. So that's a win-win. I, 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 that's a phenomenal breakdown, and I, I obviously had no knowledge of the actual mm-hmm. breakdown, and that's a crazy number. Did, yep. did you know this? What, how does that sound to you? <laughs> yeah, I think in, in our profession, we kind of, we like to blame lifestyle, um, bad choices, and this kind of justifies where it's coming from, and it's true that the, the actual healthcare and the, the ability to to change, as you say, bend the disease curve, once you're in the middle of the disease, especially a chronic disease, is really nearly impossible to do. I mean, I, I, I'm concerned that, that we have this conversation um, and we're kind of a little intellectualized, uh, we're affluent, we're seeing population health in 
a very skewed environment. And, and I wonder whether somebody who is living just above the poverty line, yes. who is eating a high uh, carbohydrate, poor glycemic index kind sure. of diet because it's, it's, it's inexpensive, <clears throat> how do you get that sort of bedrock of population, labor population, to, to change? Because a lot of money is spent in the uninsured population who, who are it's living true. in that very it's difficult, so true. In that very difficult area, and and I'd like to say let's do this and 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 create a model that you can then sort of condense value to make a true population uh, across the across the spectrum of our population. How do you reach those people? Like yeah. where 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 like. How, how far away are we? <laughs> like, you know, or is it, you know, do we, st I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, you, th there's a couple of different ways, right? We look at this from a, obviously, from a business standpoint, everything has to make sense in order for you to be able to put out a product that, you know, you can actually produce, get the proper numbers for and, and change what you yes. need to change, sure. right? And like Gary alluded to, that can go towards a certain group of people, and then you have this whole other population, right? Which I think, if I'm not wrong, when you talk about the savings of what that can show through the numbers, that can lead right into these people, and, and you can offer much better education at the very least, no? No question, absolutely. <clears throat> you guys are spot on. And you know, the other piece to this is, um, you know, Hippocrates said how many thousands of years ago, right, Gary, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Right. And, right. Um, and you're absolutely right. The, 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 the healthy choice options that are out there many times can be cost prohibitive, um, uh, at least, you know, the way they're marketed and sold. And fast food and, and easy food and convenient food options, which are inexpensive, it's probably the worst thing you can put in your body, and, and there's no question. So I think it starts with education, but I also think, you know, and from a healthcare perspective, you know, this is where, you know, we, we can do more, and this is the concept of a fresh food pharmacy with an F as opposed to a PH, right? So rather than, um, we do a really good job of when people come into a hospital, <laughs> we That's don't great. address yeah. really probably all that well the social determinants of health. No, right? At all, and right. social determinants can drive 76% of that chronic disease burden we spoke about earlier. So you know, understanding, hey, you know, whoever the patient is, how are you eating, you know? Um, in our health system, we have an incredibly high quality home care agency. It sees uh, about 1,500 people a day across Long Island. You learn so much by going into someone's home. Absolutely. And you see what's in their cabinets and how are you eating and can we get fresh food choices in for them and teach them um, how to cook. So concepts that I think about are, you know, as an index admission, when someone does come into the hospital, if you address those things and you find that they're an issue, how do we educate them on uh, better food choices? How do we teach them how to cook? How do we um, show them some, some great areas where they can shop and still get good value as opposed to some of the bigger brand name organic type sure. stores? I won't right. mention names that, <laughs> you know, the prices are, are, are very, very high. So how can we make that more available to them? Because those kinds of lifestyle modification, and then, you know, you never think about social determinants uh, for, for so many folks. The way your neighborhood and where you live is zoned um, could be a real, real issue. Um, from where I, I trained in population health, which is in the city of Philadelphia, um, a, a big issue in some of those surrounding communities where they have no parks, 
no sidewalks. Uh, so mm. what do you do with your family? I know when I would go home at night, I still do. When I leave here with you guys, I'm going to go home and walk around the block a few times with my wife, my daughter, and our little dog. And, you know, and we just walk and we keep walking. Well, you can't do that if you don't have the proper environment. So these are things that we really, believe it or not, they all add up in a cumulative way to overall health or, or lack thereof. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, Patrick is talking about, you know, the fact that he goes home and he's disciplined and even after, you know, a long day goes for these walks. And I got to say, you know, Patrick is in very good shape and you could see, you know, he's right. It's not, you know, it, it, this guy, you know, I, I love it because it, it's important, yes. you know, you're not sitting here, you know, overweight and, and yeah. unhealthy talking about these changes that need to be made. You know, you're a guy yeah. who was probably in the top two percentile of your age group yeah. and what kind of shape you're in you know and and you know you so you walk the walk as much as you're trying to talk the yeah. talk with what we're trying to change here and I think that is one of the most key components I, oftentimes I see so many doctors that are <clears throat> you know that are preaching to their patients about well you need to lose weight and you got to get healthy the doctor is like barely hanging on to life by a thread <laughs> himself, you know, and, and you're like, wait, what, you know, and it's difficult for someone to listen. That's why I think, you know, places like this, where you walk into an atmosphere where the entire conversation is health, you know, and personal wealth through health Absolutely. in the sense of understanding that, you know, <clears throat> it, it, it's when you have your health, you have wealth, you have everything else, right? right. And, you know, not just from a cosmetic standpoint of building your body to look a certain way, but actually figuring out what goes on on the inside, you know, how do I make sure that there's no stress on my organs over time? How do I make sure that, you know, I, I don't, get into diabetes, I don't have a stroke or, you know, I, or minimize my risks, I should say, for those things because you really can't control them, you know, sure. 100%. But, you know, I think that's why it's important to have places like this where people come in and the environment is really what changes the perception of someone that walks in here, right? Yes. You're not going to come in here and have somebody telling you, well, this is what you should do, and they're not living it themselves. You know, that's one of the things that we just don't do here. You know, and <clears throat> I think, you know, educating doctors on functional medicine mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, and, and I don't know where that answer is. You know this better than I do, you know, but educating the doctors, I think, is really, really important. So when they start talking to patients, they themselves have a better understanding of, well, OK, I'm telling you to do this kind of should do it myself a little bit. And, mm -hmm. and I think if you understand that as a doctor, you can. You know, your message is stronger. It's true. And I think, you know, you guys have an incredible program here where um, you actually build that customized portfolio to the end. So there's individuality of each. Absolutely. And that's what's so important because you connect in on the full level with the client. And, and we need to do probably a better job of that in medicine. Um, and, you know, a lot of this, I think people felt at least in the healthcare side, and Gary, you correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, you know, well, where's the evidence? You know, we always say the true academicians, where is the randomized <laughs> control trial? That's well, guess what? Now things are being published. And you look in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, and I mentioned a New England Journal article. I mean, I can go on and on about some of these things now that have large power, meaning there are thousands and thousands of patients enrolled. Many of these things are, 
occurring in the European sector. Europeans tend to be a little bit advanced of us in this regard in terms of diet, lifestyle modification. Absolutely, yeah. And then coming back and saying, hey, we're bending. Mod these are modifiable risk factors. Again, going back to that 30, 60, 10. So if you're influencing the 30 and the 60, you're going to have a different health outcome. Um, so it, it is becoming publishable, and it is being out there. So I think more and more, I think, Gary, or colleagues are going to begin to say, you know, and you think about it, I talk about this all the time. When we were in medical school, I think I had, uh, and I'm a little younger than Gary. I won't say by how much, but I'm a little <laughs> younger. But I think I had one class of nutrition. You probably, I don't even know if you had any. No, probably yeah. not. No. Yeah. So isn't that amazing? Like the fact that. The fuel that you put in your body, no one even tells you. I, how you should be doing and what you should be it's eating. Your original for. medicine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think doctors are not good uh, proponents of healthy lifestyle. I think they are truly what we call secondary caregivers. In other words, when you have a disease, they they train to diagnose and manage disease processes. They're probably not the best people to get involved in how to live a healthy lifestyle. And I think, you know, I learned so much from speaking with Laurie Graham and listening to her speak um, to, you know, this, the story that she tells is that she's actually an occupational therapist mm -hmm. and she was doing home occupational therapy for a patient who had s severely deteriorating MS. And she walked into the house and she saw all of these these boxes of cereal and, and all, processed, and all foods. processed foods and cans on the on the kitchen table because... The person couldn't reach up to get them in a, in a cupboard. So she, she said, I'm going to work on your muscles, but this is not going to help build your muscles. So she realized that there had to be a nutritional component that augmented whatever you know, muscle exercise was being done. And then we spoke a little bit about, you know, you are in the exercise field. You're in exercise, physical fitness, mobility, flexibility. You know, you have an unbelievable program, Sam. And, and... And what's emerging is this, this demographic of people who are called uh, lifelong exercisers, exercisers with an RS. And these are people who've been identified by, by the um, physiologists or exercise physiologists who have 50 years of, of aerobic exercise under their belt, whether they've been marathon runners or long-distance long walkers. And they've looked at, to your point, mitochondria, mm -hmm. muscle biopsies, mm -hmm. uh, and have found these people have got muscle age equivalent to people in their 30s. Yeah. And not only that, these people have all caused reduction in mortality. Mm -hmm. Correct. So, so there's obviously a change your mind or train your mind, change your body, increase your, your health span, and, and that's participating your own, in, in your own sort of wellness. One of the things real quick that you always allude to, and I love this phrase of yours, you know, uh, health span as opposed to lifespan, right? I, I, right? Is that my, my, am I yeah, butchering it's, it's, it? It's, no, no, no. It's, it's right. It's just not mine. You can't well, right, but, but that's something you say to me all the time, right? And, and it's amazing, right? So everyone's so worried about their lifespan, you know, and, and, you know, neither one of us are God. You don't know what your lifespan is. But your health span... <laughs> You could really dig into there, and that's kind of what we're alluding to here. It's yeah, we, we have this concept of living longer, right? And then there's this entity known as the technological imperative, right? The technological imperative is because we are able to keep 
body alive longer we feel we have to but this is not a meaningful existence so the the health span is the days that you have in terms of quality of of life per day in existence is a much more important thing and and this comes from uh, my experience in treating octogenarians mm-hmm. or what we now call elderly patients with cancers particularly pancreas cancer which is which is a dreaded disease the surgery is complicated if they if they want to have chemotherapy it's it's debilitating it's yeah. and you have to have the conversation with these people you know if we go ahead and do this there are going to be bad days uh, but what do you want from that? So you have to have uh, an elderly person identify what their what their goals and ambitions are. And most of them will tell you, I'd rather live what's left comfortably, even if it's not going to be as long. So so that's health span versus lifespan. And if you then interpolate that into a younger person, they've got to know that I want every day to be meaningful to me. Well, right? that's just it, right? It's it's you know, and no offense to our tech guys here who are in that you know millennial generation it, you know <laughs> it th- their mindset is you know th- it's one of a get in better shape and they understand those things but i think we can catch them at a very young age and you know and 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 change their mindset because you know with with, with what i notice with the younger generation a lot of them you know love to work out you know, they love to do things, but there's so much still lack of proper knowledge as to, you know, what to do, how to go about it, how can you, but one of the things I do love about the, their generation is that, you know, the, the interest is there, yes. you know, and, and I think that's one of the key things that, you know, we've sparked, you know, the interest. And once you spark an interest, you know, I always say, catch them young, you know. You know, my son, he started playing lacrosse. He's seven years old. And these kids at seven remind me of us when we were 12. So just sure. at that age, I see a five-year, which is about an 80% difference, you know, in, in their development, just mentally, physically, what they can handle, what, you know, and, and they're processing information. So if we can catch that, at, at a young age with the proper message and proper education, I think that's how you start changing those environments too of people who, you know, when, you know, when sports came out and athletes started making all of this money, um, it showed underprivileged kids a whole new way of hope for them sure. to get out of these inner cities and yeah. ghettos. And it opened up their eyes and educated them to a whole new world of, well, if I follow this path instead of this path, you know, I can get somewhere. And even if they don't become professional basketball players, there's a certain level of discipline that goes about learning to choose. I'd rather do that than hang out on the corner. That it starts to mentally put your mind in a more productive place. So I think if we catch them at a young age and we have programs that actually get the teenagers and, 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 you know, the youth of the 21, 22-year-olds. You know, I think the knowledge is there now. I think the interest with these kids is there. And I think that's how you slowly, it's one of the ways I think you can change the environment for sure. Agreed. You know, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's a little scary as well because when you look at the fastest growing segment where 
you you mentioned lifespan and you you know each generation has lived longer right so advent of um scientific breakthroughs in care have let each generation live longer but the way we're going now actually our kids may in fact not have the same lifespan as us because of things such as childhood obesity uh, kids are now um, having issues with hyperlipidemia younger age Again, it's the, it's the tech environment. It's everybody's on devices. So I think now more than ever, I mean, I was a kid, I was in the gym. Probably, I was, I was probably too young lifting weights at the time, but I, but I loved it. When, one of the people I looked up to at the time was Arnold, right? <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, how many kids my, my age, you know, I looked sure. and I said, you know, here's a guy who had nothing and came over here. So, but just to your point, I didn't hang on a street corner. I played team sports. I played, you know, football, um, Basketball, I did not play. And, and for those of you listening, there's a reason why. At five six, at five six, with uh, lifts in my shoes. But um, uh, hockey, baseball, soccer, football. But I also lifted weights because I like the discipline around yeah. it. I li- and I like the camaraderie. I like the folks that I that I met. Some of them are still my friends today. I know yeah. them, you know, f- uh, thirty years. I'm yeah. I'm friends with them, and they're they're all still in good shape. Uh, they're all still you know connecting in, uh, and I think. You know, um, that's a key aspect now. I, I, I think of what's missing and how do we engage our youth more in that? Because if not, um, you know, we're seeing people, as I know some of my colleagues, they're seeing people with full-blown cardio, not everybody, but a, a subset of the population, full-blown cardiovascular disease, you know, in their 20s, people having heart attacks uh, younger, people having yeah. cardiovascular, cerebrovascular disease younger, again, especially if there's a genetic predisposition to 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 this. So... I think now more than ever, it's really appropriate. And what you lay down in the younger years, it sticks with you, you know? Absolutely. I mean, if I don't get to work out my, the, the days of the week I normally go, I, I don't feel right. I feel, I feel off. I feel I, I miss it. Yeah. I look forward to it. Yeah. But it was your environment. You see, like you alluded to your dad, right? Yeah. And, and, and who he was and what mm-hmm. he made sure that you guys did. And, and we've spoken about your father and the discipline aspect mm-hmm. of it. And my father was, he, was you know, he still is a very disciplined man, you know? Like, so it's like, you know, you, you, that environment allows for that. And I totally agree with you. I, I think getting in the gym and working out and getting involved, you know, in, in that sense um, is really it, it just providing the youth something to do. My, my partner, uh, Dr. Daniel Benalevy, you know, he's a pediatrician. Yes. And when we first started this company, the first, our first goal was, okay, how do we get in front of childhood obesity, right? right? It wasn't even to get into this medical wellness. I mean, we, we wanted to, but our first look was, there is so many issues with the kids. And then yes. we looked and we said, there's so many issues with the parents. Yes. <laughs> there's so many issues with lack of education. And this is in a wealthy area. This is not even in, yes. so we're like, oh man, if, if, thi- here. if this area doesn't know how to handle this, how do you expect that area to understand this? And this is kind of how this whole thing steamrolled. And then we said, okay, what are one of the factors? Genomics, right? Figure out at a young age, you know, like I did my son's, you know, DNA profile at the age of six, you know, and it's funny, certain things showed up on him, like where he had a, you know, his, his wrist and joint weakness, you know, was high and I don't know, the following year he falls and breaks his wrist, you know, right on a growth plate. And, you know, it's like, and you look at him and he looks strong as a bull, but the wrist was where his weakness was, right? And, and he fell on it and it cracked. And, you know, we looked at see what kind of foods he, uh, he has a tendency to liking and not liking. And we started gearing more, my wife and I, his 
plan towards those things that accommodate him a little bit better. And we see a response. We see the difference, you know, like certain things the body doesn't digest well, you know, like through our program, I learned I don't digest spinach. Right. I mean, spinach, you know, because my body naturally has a high iron and magnesium count, you know. So, like, it, it's, it's fascinating what we can learn at a young age it's from true. the kids. And and getting segueing into that, I want to talk about your youth a little bit more. I want to really start to get into a little bit about you know what you you know who you are and you know uh, you know as a as a young kid, you said you were you used to work out. What are your hobbies? What else? Sure. Where have you know? Because I know some cool stuff about you. You know, I know you fly planes. Yes. You know, I want to talk about yeah, that, and yeah, I want to kind of sure. see you know talk about because the thing with that is, and and Gary, you know, races cars. You know, he's an intense surgeon. And we're all intense guys, yes. so we all know that you know there's outlets of that intensity that you need to get out somehow, right? Yeah. And what better intensity than we're also flying we're plane. also all spiritual people as yes, well. Yes, very I mean, much so. Doesn't matter your religion. That's exactly right. Um, it's That's that whole exactly interplay. Right. Absolutely, you're, you're spot on. I think you know it's interesting in eons and thousands of years ago. Uh, cortisol and, and stress levels and everything were due to survivability. Wherever you were on the planes running around trying to not be eaten by <laughs> whatever was trying to consume <laughs> yeah. you. But, uh, but today, it's your work environment. Yeah. Or maybe it's some stresses with your family and whatnot. And it has a real physiologic and certain psycho uh, certainly a psychological impact on you. And it affects your health. Um, and people a lot of times discount that. And so you have to have an outlet. So, I mean, for me, unpacking who I am, and that could be a topic of a, a, a whole different conversation, but <laughs> um, you have to have a passion, um, and, you know, outside. I mean, I'm, I'm passionate about my work. I feel blessed doing the work I'm doing for CHS. I'm blessed about thinking about what, you know, aspects that we can collectively grow regarding functional medicine and wellness to the health of the population. Um, but you have to have something as an outlet. So for me... Uh, working out uh, with my friends was one area. Sports, I still play uh, some hockey uh, occasionally uh, with, with friends, uh, some of whom Gary knows as well, the clinical colleagues. And for me, uh, flying is that release. It is one of those, um, you know, it's either you, you're terrified of it or you, the minute your wheels leave the ground, you're, you're hooked. And when you're up in the sky, and, and especially Long Island is a beautiful place to... Uh, to aviate and to look around. But I've, because of that, I've gotten to meet so many really interesting people and talking about the things that we're discussing, which is, you know, how do you, you know, longevity and stay healthy in this? And I think I was sharing with, with you, Sam, when we were having dinner a couple of weeks back, I've had the privilege to meet so many of the NASA astronauts. And, you know, when you unpack these octogenarians, some of yeah. them now are pushing 90. And they are cognitively sharp as a tack. I mean, Buzz Aldrin's still drawing orbits on how to get to Mars. <laughs> and they're physically fit. They still work out because they had to. For them yeah. to fly and put their bodies through that type of rigor, they had to be spiritually connected. They had to take care of their bodies. They had to work out. They had all of these things going on. And they didn't even realize that they themselves were putting themselves through, a, if you will, a functional medicine and wellness experiment just because they wanted to fly on a rocket. They knew they would, if they didn't want to scrub out of the program. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's part of my background. So a lot of what I always do is I, I have a lot of um, kind of uh, aviation connotations to, to healthcare. That's kind of what my friends and colleagues that I work with always tease me on. We don't have enough runway for this or, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, one of the things that's really important, I think about what you do to use that same colloquialism is, your developed radar. 
Yeah. This is right. So you're not flying blind. So, you know, for those of you, even when you fly commercially, you'll know no matter what the weather is, um, you'll most times you're still able to go uh, wherever you're going. But you'll even notice pilots will divert. They'll go around. But why? They know where the trouble is. They know on that scope what lies ahead. You know, you mentioned your son and that um, I issue with the wrist fracture and the weakness. Well, you, you knew now and you know that's an issue. You're going to build a program around it. So that's where I think all this kind of comes together is instead of being, to Gary's point, re reactionary. And we're going to always have a, a component of healthcare that is sick care, right? People are going to get hurt. People are going to get disease. But if you really have that flight plan and you know on the radar scope what they're potentially in store for, you could, you could really bend that. Um, and that, to me, is what's really exciting. You know, so like I used to always tell people in the emergency room, I hope I never see you again. And they'd say to me, I want you to be my doctor. You don't understand. I said, no, no, I hope I never see you again. <laughs> yeah. And that's out of love because yeah. if you're here, it means something's wrong. Right. Right. So how do we keep you well? How do we keep you healthy? How do we keep you out of here? Um, so, you know, we all have things that, uh, that I think we do to balance ourselves and, and my friend Gary over here, he drives race cars. So, uh, I'm sure you could share similarly that that's something that keeps, believe it or not, people probably thinking that keeps you grounded, but it, it does, I'm sure. Yeah. Firstly, you realize that no matter how hard you practice, there are always a bunch of people who are much better than you. Yes. And, and you can put a lot of time, energy and effort into it. But I use it as what I call a hedge against aging because you have to have a situational awareness. You got to practice that. You got to practice reactions. You know, so so it, the goal or or almost the the uh, the prize for working out hard and and working on on sort of mental alertness is being able to get into a race car and, and yeah. compete. And it's just one of the the lucky releases that you and I yes. you and I have. Um, and and you know everybody yeah. will find something that really you know, excites them. And it's important. And, you know, it's very important. It's very. Important. I think the the key thing here, and I love, is passion, mm. right? And and I, I I truly believe you know the the opposite of what we call clinical depression is having passion and focus. You know, I, I've very rarely have met people who are very passionate about something that they're devoting their life to and they're very focused on who have the time to be depressed. That's true. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and in my spiritual studies, that's a, that's, that's somewhere that I really, you know, landed into and I, and I really realized, okay, you know, if, if, if I, I have this term that I learned in one of the courses that I've taken, uh, very bright woman. She coined this term called unmessable with. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I, I love that term because if you're passionate about something and you're super focused, no matter what happens around you, you're not going to lose your focus on your goal or on your passion, right? Like you're out there, you're flying, right? The environment throws things at you. You know, you can have the radar, mm -hmm. but there's stuff that's not on the radar, that's right. <laughs> right? That's right. So it's like, okay, you know, your focus, your passion builds confidence. And what it does is it pushes you through the clouds, sort of say, yes. right? So, you know, and same thing with you, like out there in the racing, you know, and, you know, and, and a lot of that, I think when it comes to what we were talking about translates into what we do with like cognitive training, right? So, you know, and, and neurological stimulation and, and these type of things, like what you're talking about with flying and what you're talking about with car race car driving and the astronauts and NASA you know the key component here is 
they had to understand how to do a hundred things at once. So when your brain is firing away, like one of the things we do with some of the elderly is, you know, we'll have them stand on an unstable surface, you know, throw them a ball back and forth. If they get to a progressive level where we can put them on one leg, we'll put them on one leg, right? And then as we're throwing the ball back and forth, somebody will run across and hold a card up with a color and they'll have to identify the color. Right. So now their brain is starting to go, oh, my God, I have to, you know, keep track of all of these things. And what that provides is not confusion, but it actually provides focus. And, you know, I think intensity and passion and what we all have here is 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 the building blocks for focus. And I think that's one of the things that, you know. In preventative healthcare, it's really important the mind aspect. That's why our logo is train your mind, change right. your body, right? right? Your body is a byproduct of what your mindset is at Correct. the end of the day, right? It's, you know, we all have this self image of ourselves, right? And, and, you know, it looks a certain way, it appears a certain way, and it appears to people in a certain way. And that is kind of brought out in kind of how you look at yourself and how you carry yourself. And in taking care of your nutrition, you hormonally balance yourself. And taking care of your physical exercise, you have the confidence that you can maneuver better and you can react to situations better and you look better. Yes. So all in all, I think you start to cover what adds up to long-term preventative health care if you started at a young age. And I think, you know, and I, I think that's where we're at, Patrick. Yeah, it's exciting. I, I would agree with you. I think, and you know, you layer on top to your point, right? It's, it's everything else. You just layer on top of each different situation, um, some added complexity, some added um, opportunities for learning, and that just continues to build that that curve forward. So it's I think it's a it's a really exciting time because, you know, like I said earlier on in the podcast, you know, 20 years ago, we we, we didn't have all of and, and I really call this scientific wellness. Now it's not yeah. just wellness; it really is scientifically based. There's good science behind this uh, and 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 you have so much more that is modifiable uh, that you likely do not even realize or perhaps maybe even your primary care provider whoever is not you know not even aware of yet that you could intervene on at an earlier stage and I'm not saying again you're going to prevent all disease but you know if you shift that disease curve like we talked about earlier and um, to Gary's earlier point even someone who has a uh, significant disease, you know, looking at what you can do to improve quality and, and longevity. Very, very important. And it's an exciting time. Yeah, it really is. I, I'm so blessed and, and happy to be a part of, you know, this time. I think we live, we're living in a time where, you know, this broad technology of social media and, and this connectiveness of, you know, of all the world, I guess, sort of say, right? Uh, you know, business is worldly now, you know, uh, all medicine is worldly now, you know, you're looking at it and it's not just like one thing versus the other, it's, it's starting to get a lot more integrated. And I think as we learn more and more about this, I, I, I think that's the future. I think really, you know, it, it allows us to have, you know, universal, you know, health in a sense that, you know, we can learn from others, others can learn from us. Absolutely. And, 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 and we're, we're in a good position right now. I also think that we're in a place where for the first time in history, the spiritual holistic aspect of 
you know, how things were treated and, and how things were looked at is starting to fill in that gray space with the traditional medicine and medical point of view. More and more doctors such as you and Gary that I talk to are really understand that spiritual element and are more open to it. And I think that's one of the areas where something like functional medicine even kind of like, like mixed in, in the middle, right? A little bit about how do you integrate? That's why it's called integrative medicine, right? Correct. How do you integrate what the shamans have been doing for 5,000 years that a lot of people are like poo poo, you know, mm -hmm. and, and as opposed to, you know, these things really work. Right. These foods that these guys used to heal and, and find the root cause of a lot of things really, really work. And I think it's so exciting to be a part of that time in history right now. I, I'm loving this. Yeah, I am too. And it's needed now more than ever because when you look at things from a population and even sometimes a public health perspective, we're, we're going in a bad direction, I think, yeah. personally. And I think there's evidence to show that we're seeing increased disease burden, inc you know, increased uh, incidence and prevalence of diseases. Uh, longevity can be in question for generations that come after us if we continue down this pathway. So I think it needs, you know, it's a, it's a piece. You know, and I, I always say this, and I remain, you know, apolitical. You know, there's the left and the right. And the, the right answer is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And so traditional medicine offers so much uh, to try to help people, but we, we don't really think yet and have embraced this whole side of it. So when you bring this all together, you've got an incredibly powerful recipe for health that takes the best of preventive, scientific wellness, genomics, precision medicine, and builds it into conventional medicine. So you have this whole spectrum. That's the full package. That's where we're going. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, that's definitely the path that's just laid out now yeah. and by you know and, and it's so good to have that come out of your mouth yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it, and 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 have a, a guy like you gary really like like patrick said you're so used to you know just treating the symptom but yet you're totally have understood because you started living the preventative aspect of things and you've been through a couple of things yourself health-wise and, and and look at where you are today right i mean yeah you help so <laughs> I mean, what's important for me is to see somebody like Patrick, who is at the helm of a major health system, kind of recognize and embrace and live yeah. the idea that the healthy mind and the, the, the human participation in their need for wellness is where we have to focus, right? I mean, you know, something you don't know about Patrick is that he is absolutely laser-focused on, on quality on patient experience and and what is called the high reliability organization, right? And it's a it's a heavy lift in healthcare because when you're in manufacturing and you and you have robots making motor cars, there's an expectation of high reliability with near near zero defect, right? In a health system, it's an open system, right? Everybody is has, can participate in something going wrong. You know, to 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 be human is to be able to make mistakes, or to err is human. And being able to focus on the ability to take that out of the equation is is a is a phenomenal thing, and and that's kind of the day to day business that you're in, and and nobody is as passionate about this as, as Patrick, and his flying just you know brings the 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 what they call cockpit sort of resource or or crew resource management into it where everybody has an equal right to speak. Everybody has 
um, uh, uh, a level hierarchy from the most junior person on the team to the captain of the of the airplane and that's how we like the system to behave and that's why i'm so passionate about patrick's day job the added thing which i didn't know about patrick was mm-hmm. was was the fact that the human or the patient must be brought into this whole team and and being able to educate your patient in the population that we serve is really where i'd like to take this further with you and there's so much to talk about yes but but i learned so much about how much you know about mm-hmm. this that that it blows me away really how you are with one thing you are with everything yeah and you know when 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 you know i i have no doubt the intensity and the seriousness in which you probably take your work on as Gary's alluding to on a daily basis because you know you're so passionate as a human being and you know it's it, it when you have that on a daily basis then it, it just exudes to every part you can't turn it off <laughs> like I always tell people who ask me you know you're intense you're very passionate like you know at, at what point do you shut off? I'm like, I shut off at 4.30 in the morning when I wake up. Right. And when I'm meditating. <laughs> I'm like, that's when I shut off, when I first wake up, you know, because it, it, it's like otherwise the intensity of the day, you know, is it's what fuels me. It's yes. what thrives me. It's what makes me go. And I see that mm-hmm. in you and I see that in yeah. you. And it's so good to see that, you know, and it's geared towards the right direction mm-hmm. that's the key thing because passion can be destructive if true it's not, if it's not in the right direction it's true so you know it's just it, it it's it's fascinating and, and i'm so happy to be able to do this podcast with you guys and you know i just um i i, I want to before we wrap this up just you know uh really thank you very much and it, it really is a uh, you in a short span of time in a couple of conversations have truly opened my eyes to possibilities that, you know, were kind of in the back of the brain, mm-hmm. but I couldn't really understand where, mm-hmm. you know, the logistics were mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. <laughs> you started telling me, which is fantastic. And Gary has always just been, you know, that medical voice in, in my right ear, you know, teaching me more and more about, you know, things within the body that, you know, my knowledge just didn't have beforehand and how it ties into the whole fitness and nutrition and wellness field. So, you know, um, I, you know, as we wrap this up, I really just want to thank the both of you for being here for really, um, I, I definitely want to, this, we can talk for hours here, yes. you know, and, and we definitely should do another one of these, a 2.0 and get into other subjects as we move along within this health field. But I'm excited for the future, man. Yeah. And I'm excited to work with you guys and be a part of this movement. And, you know, I just want to let everybody know, um, you know, this forum, the, the, the point of this podcast is to bring people inside this profession, you know, doctors within, you know, the field to come in and speak freely about where this change can be, because that's kind of where it starts, right? The more voices we have, the more people that come in, the more ideas that are sparked, the more open conversation that we have, the faster we can actually make that shift that you are yeah. looking to see and, and, and change people's lives. No, no question. And, and likewise, it, uh, really a privilege to be here. Thank you for, uh, for having me uh, on as a guest with, uh, with Gary. Um, I truly believe we can change the healthcare landscape. 
I uh, do too. And, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's um, the old adage, or was it the Steve Jobs quote, right? Those that think they can change the world are actually the ones, you know, crazy enough to actually do it. That's and right. And so I, I think with the right uh, momentum and with education and with programs such as this and, and integration into an overall integrative functional medicine and population health management uh, program, uh, you know, that that's really the, the future direction. And I'll just say, you know, as a plug back, um, uh, I, I also, I do a TV show. It's called Dr. O Faithfully Transforming Healthcare. It's on Catholic Faith Network and on um, uh, CBS TV 55. I'll have to have you on as I a guest so that. we can talk Absolutely. more about this sure, and, then yeah. and have the viewers uh, that, that I am able to go out to so you can share this message with them, which I think would be really powerful because the whole concept of that show is really truth in medicine. You know, what is the truth and where do we direct people for for the right solution to their issue, whether it's an acute care decompensated issue or preventive issue, wellness issue, all of that. So I'd love to have you on. I would be delighted and honored. And, you know, I think the more of those conversations we have, the better we can open up people's minds towards the future. Um, so you can check us out on our iTunes podcast. Uh, and, uh, you know, Patrick and Gary, if you uh, need their assistance in any which way, like Gary said, you're probably in trouble <laughs> for him. But no, uh, all kidding aside, you know, um, it, it, it's, it really was a pleasure, you know, sharing the stage with you guys today. And I want to thank you for coming on. Um, and uh, as we get more feedback and emails through this podcast, you know, we'll do our best to answer everybody. Um, so uh, you could reach us at uh, Sam at helixandgene.com if you have any questions for any of us and you know we can get back to you on this. Uh, and uh, thank you guys so much for being here. And it was really was a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank You're you welcome. for having us, Sam. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. Thanks, Sam.